Hey, this is Gavin Wood, bringing Countdown back to 6 o'clock Sunday night. I'll recap the national top ten from days gone by. And you can dance. And chat exclusively with the big names from the Countdown days. Glenn Shorick. Kate Soprano. Ivor Davies from Ice House. And it all starts with Daryl Braithwaite. It was pandemonium. You didn't really know how it all came together or whatever, but that ABC, they did it very, very well. Sunday night from 6 on Gold 104.3. WSFM, the 80s on iHeartRadio. On Classic Hits, 4KQ and 96FM. Gavin Wood's Countdown Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Hi, this is Joe Camilleri from the Black Sorrows, and you're listening to Gavin Wood's Countdown Podcast. Welcome to the Gavin Wood Countdown Podcast. I am extremely excited and very happy to have one of my greatest rock stars. I've followed this man's career from the, right from the very beginning when he started with Jojo Zepp and the Falcons and the shape I'm in. What a song that was on 3XY. On the line with this podcast the amazing Joe Camilleri. G'day, Joe. Hello, Gavin. How are you, sir? Mate, I'm very well. Thank you for taking the time to have a chat with me today. An absolute pleasure. Let's go right back, right back into the relic rack, so to speak. Okay. Way right back, back, way back. Way back, yeah. <laughs> Singer, songwriter, uh, plays a mean sax and guitar, writes some amazing music. Now, let's go right back to your very early childhood, uh, born yeah. in Malta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was... Uh... Uh, 48 child, you know, uh, mm -hmm. year of the 48. So that kind of puts me almost fossil-like. Um, <laughs> Not yet. And uh, one of 10. One of uh, 10? One of 10. Yeah, third child of 10, you know, so I was very needy. Uh, but uh, thank God I've changed. Yes, and I'm pleased about that. But but you would have had to uh, do a lot of delegating uh, back then as a, a a young boy. You know, that's a lot of pressure to put on you, you know, to try and keep the family all together and make sure everybody's fed. You, you would have had to do your fair amount of work. Well, yeah, I, I left school at 12 and, uh, and a half, you know. So I'm a May. I, I, I was born in May. Gee. So, you know, uh, uh, the last day of school uh, after my 12th birthday, I... Um, decided to go to work you could do that then you could sort of um people would um high mm. you know so almost 13 okay you know <laughs> pick that bale <laughs> tote that barge you know <laughs> for the, uh, well that's what you do you know i was near the south melbourne market uh you know I, I, my brother got me a job just up the road and you know you just did what you could and and you were right about that gavin you, you sort of you know, six girls, four boys, and um, it was a hard slog. But it wasn't it wasn't uncommon, you know, not only for migrants to have big families, but for Australian families were quite big then too. Mm. So, um, so uh, they were beautiful days, really. Yes, I don't were. regret one minute of it, you know. And, and you know, I learned on the job, really. So I started yeah. playing. Yeah. I started playing music when I was about sixteen. Accidentally, everything was an accident. Uh, for me, so so, well, yeah, well, you know, radio was king. Always been king for me, anyway. So yeah. it, it, it um, uh, you know, I'd learn the songs of the day, you know, by accident, just because I, I liked them. And I, I had a voice that sounded uh, the music of the day. You know, I right. could sing like the Rolling Stones and uh -huh. or that sound or the Animals, or and so I just got up one day my, my friends were so bored with me singing in the car that they took me somewhere and they made me audition basically you know audition in front of you know in front of the public and i i think i sang round and round or something like that you know uh, uh which i didn't know was a chuck berry song i thought it was a rolling stone song or something was that with the drollies when you were thrown on stage that was before the drollies oh okay the drollies was kind of uh that that was just a guy who had – he was a pastry chef and had a beautiful-looking guitar. <laughs> Good. Our repertoire consisted of four songs and uh, because he couldn't mm. play the songs that I could sing off the radio. And I went out. There was a place called Sutton's. Remember them? Yes, yes, I remember. I, yeah, Brashes. I remember. Oh, well, more Sutton's <clears throat> than Brashes. I was working at AMI at the time, which is uh, Australian Motor Industry. 
And um, for some unknown reason, they gave me high purchase for a Fender bass. And I realised that I couldn't sing and play the Fender bass at the same time. And I would take the Fender bass to work <laughs> and try to learn stuff right. like a tune a day. And the thrill for me was to be able to play Lucille. Right. You know, because the guitar and bass on Lucille are mm. exactly the same. And uh, I think it took us six months to learn that song. So, uh, so a good song too, Little Richard. Man, yeah, but, but, wasn't, uh, wasn't he ahead of its ahead of his time? Yeah, oh, incredible, incredible. I mean, you know, you just have to look at YouTube videos of when he was six. It was just insane mm. then. But um, you, you, you know, what was really nice in those days, and probably what is for, for young people today, you know, they just get up and make a stand. It doesn't really matter how noisy it is. Mm. And and um, we were good Catholic boys, and they would let us rehearse in a Catholic um, hall, you know, mm -hmm. the, uh, every Catholic school would have this uh, hall next to it. And uh, and uh, we would rehearse there a little bit. We finally got to play, uh, and we were terrible. We were terrible. And uh, we played, the Drollies played at the Mod Ball, 1964. I, I no longer played the bass. I gave the bass to my brother because he could play the piano accordion. Mm. So I figured he had some musical knowledge. Turned out he didn't have any musical knowledge, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it didn't matter. So we made this mess, right. you know, and we were on first. And I remember playing the tambourine. Tambourine was so cheap that the, the jangles were sort of falling off the tambourine oh. during my Mick Jagger impersonation of some, some stupid song. And, uh, but the, 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 the really good thing that night, we had fun, you know, we're first on. Yeah. I brought a beautiful, I remember the pink shirt that I brought had appellettes on the, you know, it was really quite, very smart. It looked quite, very, very smart, you yeah. know. Hair was just long enough to sort of be unmanageable. Mm. And there was, Normie Rowe was on that show, you know, um, the Wild Colonials mm. were on it. There was um, lots of, lots of incredible bands, all the big stuff. Mm. And, and we were, we, you know, we were at the other end. We were at the, we were at the donkey's tail end. Um, and I, the, the next band was a band called the King Bees and they were really good. Hmm. But they didn't have a singer. Ah. And they could see that I was in, at least enthusiastic. <laughs> they asked me to join that band, which was kind of, it took me a while to sort of decide because I was with my friends, you know, the, the people that you hang out with and you yeah. talk about yeah. the songs that were coming up, right? You say, oh, because the radio sometimes will let you know yeah. that in the next half hour, you may hear. House of the Rising mm. Sun, you know, so so you, you're watching out for it. Right. And, and we all sort of gathered around the radio and we all say, I wish we could play that. I wish I can buy those boots. You know, you're just hanging out, kids just having fun, you know, driving around doing nothing. Yeah. And then I, it looked like we were, we, we supported Bobby and Laurie and they were so professional, mm. beautiful mm. singers. Mm. And, and they had that song, yeah. uh, I Belong With You, I think, maybe it was their first big one. From Adelaide. Well, Bobby was. Bobby was from Adelaide. Yeah, hitchhiker yeah. after that. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and it just went through the roof. And I, I thought, I realized I was on a sinking ship. As much <laughs> as I love my friends, yeah. I realized I was on a sinking ship. I, I, you know, I need to jump off, jump off and, and jump onto that horse that I was offered, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. And see if I can run with this pony. So how and, long, how uh, long were you with the King Bees? We, uh, we were together for a, for a couple of years, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden we started. And, and what what third rate bands would do, like if Normie was playing, mm -hmm. he might do four or five shows a night, right? So he'll do two or three songs, and he will send you the songs by. Oh, you would get the songs in some form, yeah. Or you get the sheet music, and you yes. you'd have to. You're doing you're doing all night, right? You're, mm. You start at eight, and finish at three. So you're backing morning. you're backing all the single artists so, as well. Yeah, without me, I'm not <laughs> I'm not involved in this bit, mm. you know, because I didn't play an instrument. Right. So uh, <clears throat> so Normie would come on and he'd just say, you know, whatever the songs that he would choose, mm. and, and Mike Ferber. I'm just pulling these names out. I can't yeah, remember sure. in, in sequence, you know, because yeah, yeah. uh, they're all. Um, uh, is it Mike Ferber or yeah, is it? Yeah. Uh, I've been a bad boy. That, <laughs> yeah, all, all the stars of all all the stars of Uptight, basically, weren't they? In the Go Show, they, they were kind of like nightclubs. Mm -hmm. They were playing music of the day, so you had to. So your job was to do twenty minutes on your own, and then someone would come in, and then you do. Normally, you might only do 
12 minutes. Mm. And he'd just say, you know, so he's, he's there for a half an hour. Right. I, I remember playing with the Easy Beats at Kew Town Hall. This is a slightly different situation. I've jumped a little. And what they would do, they would just kind of come in. Uh, Snowy mm. would have his drum and they'd have their his drumsticks and he have his and the boys would have their guitars and they just plug into your stuff blow blow it up and just move on you know? <laughs> so blow yeah. up the amps because I was so loud yeah. compared to everyone else yeah. and they would yeah. do three songs just three songs and they're gone and, yeah. and I you know I used to think how how amazing mm. that must feel you mm. know just to they, they, they haven't even switched the cars off you know they're still running <laughs> and um and there's all these girls chasing yeah. them down, you know. And they've got their, their little guitars and their and their little suits, and um, mm. but, but you've made friends with these people, you know. And they and mm. and they, it was joyous, you know. It was exciting. Or then mm. you'd be playing somewhere like the Thumping Tom, you know. Yeah. And then we we got it yeah. to a point where we were doing three shows, but not not in the same way, mm. you know. Saturday night. You, you you might start at Kew Town Hall and by one o'clock you finish at the catcher. Right. You know, and you've done the thumping tum as well, you know. And um and things like yeah. that. So it was really quite exciting. Mm, it was mm. vibrant. It didn't matter about as long as you could play the songs of the day, it was really it was exciting for you, you know. I think at the catcher we started yeah. my fee at the catcher, or not my fee, the band's fee, was um we neg- we had to we had to uh, they were, uh, we had to um, rehearse for them you know we'd come up and play in front front of Gar- Graham Geddes or something I think that's right. his name and he said eh, I think we can use you you know we're going to pay you you start at seven thirty finish at three three we're going to pay you thirty two dollars thirty two dollars so. And, uh, and you know, I loved every minute of it, you know. Oh, and it's where I met Max yeah. Merritt. It's where I met um, you know, yeah. all these wonderful people that I just loved and followed, mm. you know. And you would follow people around everywhere because all yeah. the gigs yeah. were, well, they were out of town, out of yeah. southern suburbs, but most of them were in, in right in the heart of the city. But it was a lot of fun. And, and what would happen on a Friday night was uh, they'd do four or five shows They'd finish about uh, one or two o'clock in the morning. They'd grab a hamburger on the way out to Nutter Wadding and uh, they'd sleep in the car park at uh, Channel O uh, waiting for Uptight to go to air. That's right, you know. Mm. And and once again, there was a lot of those shows as well, you know. So Australian music was kind of, was really flying and 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 it was uh, the radio was incredibly supportive of it you know Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. if you had a top 40 hit that was still a real hit you know in those days that was a real that was a hit there are actually 45 singles that people go into a music shop and buy and take home and put on their record player. That's right. You know, it was yeah. it was inc- it was an incredible time, and I spent most of my money. In fact, I spent nearly all of it unless unless my mother got to it before I could spend it, and then she would spend it. Uh, you know, on, on, on records. That's you know, and to this day, I'm still buying records. Yeah, good on you. Well, so does Elton John. Um, I saw Elton buy. My record, but I was too nervous to tell him it was Screaming Targets at 78 Records in Perth. And he's pulled it out because he was kind of a big fan of Australian music. He's pulled this record out. He's had a few. I'm not sure. I mean, he might have had a Ross Wilson record. Uh, now, of course, um, um, Daddy Cool had, uh, had finished by then. Uh, we're talking 1978, maybe. Yes. You know, he was doing it still. Probably, maybe it would have, Mondo Rock would have been there, but 78 Records in Perth had a whole bunch of, you, you know, records that might have been, they had some old records as well. So I'm thinking it was a Mighty Kong record. But, um, and I, you know, and I was, I didn't know what to do, you know, because I was, <laughs> I was buying Hell and Wolf records. <laughs> and uh, uh, I didn't know what the, to, I was going to say, you know, I play on that record, you know, you should do it. But anyway, so he bought the record. Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
Hi, this is Joe Tamalui from the Black Sorrows, and you're listening to Gavin Wood's Countdown podcast. So you were with the King Bees for a couple of years, and then, then you move over to the Adderley Smith Blues Band. That must have been a, a fun time for you. The only thing that I remember, yeah. they thought, they thought that I could sing in English, but I was Italian. So I kept it up. Oh. And this guy said, yeah. uh, there's this guy called Joe Camilleri, and he kind of sings the blues pretty good. You know, he could do that, you know. And uh, and he, he's got a good knowledge, but he doesn't speak English. And and so, right. so I just gone, I took that on board, Gavin. I took that on board as just a bit of a, uh, it's a laugh, you know. They said, do you know, I think it was Five Long Years or something, you know, which is a Howlin' Wolf song, but, um, it, you know, it, it's been sort of covered by many, even the Yardbirds covered it. Yeah. And and um, and I just started singing it, you know. We did a few things and they just said, you know, we'll, we'll get back to you. Uh, and we're doing the Dallas Brooks Hall. And they ring me up and they couldn't find, they decided, I don't know, they couldn't find you. They decided... You know, uh, the jig was up. I told them that I can't can actually speak English, mm. and they said, "Would you like to join for a period of time and see how we go?" I said, "Okay." So we did the Dallas Brooks Hall, and of course, I I had just got married, and I thought I'd use my wedding outfit, which was a yellow plastic coat. Plastic was really popular. <laughs> I had, you got married in a yellow plastic coat. I, I know. What did your and wife it, say? This is to, what, just one moment, please, Gavin. Uh, <laughs> I had a green shirt with a very long collar, a, wow. a, a red tie with black and white spots, oh. orange pants, orange oh. shoes. Right? Uh, this oh is, my god! Uh, that's exactly. And I caught. And me and <clears throat> me and Angela, my first wife, caught the tr- mm. the tram into the city uh, to the registry office. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah. You know, and got the tram home. Yeah. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'll loosen up a bit. I'll take the tie off. <laughs> and <I> just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've come out, and I thought I'd do my Mick Jagger impersonation. And, of course, right. they were heavy. You know, just the name, Adley Smith Blues Band, says... Don't mess. Yeah, don't mess yeah, with serious. Yeah, that, that serious with, blues. You band. can't do the yeah. hoochie coochie. <laughs> 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 you can't do the hoochie cooch. And then Langford Lever. Can you? This is incredible. You know, he comes out. Yeah. This is Dallas mm-hmm. Brooks Hall. You know, prestigious yeah, places where all the jazz yeah. players played, and there was a rock right. venue as well. He comes out, pushes me out of the way. I don't know what to do, and the audience all of a sudden. They're in their double denims, right? Everybody's double yeah. denimed up, right? So there, and Le- and Langford Lever's double denim, and he goes into some, you know, some blues, and they're playing, you mm. know, and they're still going. I'm out there in my winning outfit, and uh, I'm thinking, I don't know what to do, so I walk off stage, and then the audience just go erupts, you know, for for this guy, right. uh, you know, it's fine by me, and then Karen. Uh, I come back on and to sort of a warm sort of applause, you know, he's gone, yeah, he's come yeah, off, yeah. you know, um, uh, he's, um, he's done his thing, whatever that was, you know, and uh, I've mm, come on mm. and finished the show. And then Karen, uh, God bless him, gets, gets, takes his guitar off and then hammers him, you know, backstage. And, <gasps> uh, you know, so it was a kind of a, uh, a bittersweet, um, ending to something, yeah. you know, and, and then we just kind of just worked around, did a few gigs. There were there were there was one gig that was incredible where it was a TF Much Ballroom. Where, right, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, hmm. uh, and and we were on, and the bikies have come up with their Harleys, you, you, you know, and, and you can just imagine the racket, right? And and, and then all of a sudden we went into some boogie. Uh, you know, into mm. this kind of thing. Mm. I thought that was in, you know, incredible staging, you know, because the TF Much Ballroom, wherever that was held, you could, mm. they, they'd have, um, 
a lot of those stages have trap doors, right? So you can come in, you can you can kind of come up out of the stage in the middle of the stage. You can sort of, you know, you could do stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. the thing that really mattered is that the bikers looked incredibly serious. Uh, they were the real deal, mm, and the mm. and the bikes were the real deal, you know. And they made more noise than any forty uh, watt Vox amplifier. Could so make. obviously, the uh, Adderley, uh Smith Blues Band faded into uh, you know after after you left, and uh, and you picked up with the uh, Polacco Brothers. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this kind of made. Um, I was always in that art world. You yeah. Know? And, and there, there were lots of art bands. Um, you know, there, there were one, one end was Billy Thorpe, hmm. who was a beautiful man, by the way. Yes. You know, you, you, you'd know that. Uh, and, and and that kind of scene, you know. Hmm. And there was all, and there was not, it was, it was, there was a fashion scene as well. Yes. You know? Yeah. Oh, no, big there fashion. Was mods, yeah. You know, there's a kind of, it was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and everyone played their part. Hmm. Um, and then there was the art deal, which was the university situation, which was, which was uh, a little bit gentle, a little bit more kind of. Um, uh, there was that country folk um, music. Uh, yeah, there was music, that kind yeah. of a sleep at the wheel kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And there was a truck stop cutie type of country. Mm-hmm. There was there was western swing. Right. And then there was uh, the original components of those things. You know, yeah. the other side. You know, like uh, Frank Zappa, mm-hmm. Captain Beefheart. There was the jazz thing. And we kind of fitted in there, and I, I met Steve Cummings at one of those TF Munch ballrooms. You know, we just started yeah, talking, yeah. and uh, Peter Lilly, and we, I just started playing the saxophone. Right. He said, oh, well, I had been, you know, toying with it. Yeah. And uh, this is a guy that brought a saxophone and decided that it was a bit dirty, so he put it in a bath, right? Good so, on you. Yeah. All, yeah. <laughs> So, so all the pads just exploded. Yeah, I was just going to say, and, I wouldn't uh, have played that well after that. It didn't play very well anyway. But, um, but anyway, so I brought another one. Mm. It started uh, and started sort of, and I was interested in in uh, rock and roll saxophone because mm-hmm. the 50s, there was a lot of rock and roll saxophone in the 50s, and I loved that sound. Yeah. Uh, and, and I still love that sound, yeah. and I'm still looking for it. But... Um, he said, we're looking for a saxophone player, you know, uh, and you sing a bit. He says, I'm, you know, he said, I'm the singer. And we go, you know, it might be good fun to have this kind of, you know, mm. play off each other. And I said, okay. So I did a couple of things, you know, and we, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and the band got together and it, it went from this art band that was doing I'm an Eskimo in Paris, you know, one of their songs, which was just, kind of fun right. and 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 it was it was really set for people that would do things like go to the uni you know and, uh, but but all of a sudden there was a it, it started to get a little bit popular mm, outside yeah. of that environment and ross wilson at that time was you know well he right. was a kingpin still is yeah he, yeah he was absolutely. doing a whole bunch of things with sky hooks i think they hadn't released their record yet but um a lot of stuff, and 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 you know, in Carlton, was a big deal. You know, there was uh, there was always a suburb, or there was always a neighbourhood mm, mm. that was creating something that wasn't yeah. coming from somewhere else. Yeah, you know, yeah. so we started playing um, at different places around that neighbourhood. Um, uh, the Kingston Hotel comes to right. mind, and we when we were. You know, we, we, we just, it'd be chock a block in there. The Palaco brothers were kind of like the precursor to Jojo Zepp. You were just getting into that sound. Would I be correct in saying that? Yeah, it was kind of, you know, uh, the, the me and Steve and we're, you know, big music fans mm-hmm. of, of the 50s right. and the 60s and also getting into what was about to happen. You know, we didn't know it was going to happen, but, but of course, you know, punk music was just about to, to take over for a year or two, yeah. you know, around 74, in England, around 74, 75, 76. Yes. Yeah, correct. So we're still hammering it at 72, you know, because mm. we played the last Sunbury. I think Sunbury was the last one at 72 or 75, 75. So, so you, you, you played... Sunbury, the last Sunbury is the Palaco Brothers. Yeah, I played. I played with Daddy Cool and and uh, 
and the Flacco brothers. I played 72. Wow, what a memory. I played 72 Fantastic. as well with um, yeah. Lip and the Double Decker brothers. Okay. I played there after. Yeah. Can you believe this? I played there after Billy Thorpe. And, you know, that was the triumph gig for Billy Thorpe, wasn't it? 1972. Oh, oop, doo yeah. Oh, my and God, yes. I had to follow that, and I had an 11-piece <sighs> band. I think I actually crawled up the lighting. I was so agile that I got up top of the, the lighting rig. Yeah. And I think they were still hitting me with beers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet you love rock and roll. <laughs> they, hurt, they hurt a little bit more then, you know, because they, they were made of tin. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> But, um, yeah, and, and it was really, that's how it sort of. And then around just near the end of, of, of the Placo Brothers, Company Kane, there was this band called Company Kane. Yeah. yeah. I remember Company yeah, great Kane, band. great band. And, and yes. um, yeah. there was this other guy who was writing really great songs, Wayne Burt, and, and uh, he had a band. Hmm. Company Kane had just broken up. John Power was in Company Kane. Jeff Burston was in Company Kane. Hmm. Or the... Oh, here, here it comes, comes Wayne Bird. Yeah. I can't remember yeah. the band that uh, yeah. Ross Wilson's wife was in the band Rock Granite. Rock Granite, I think it was called. Right. And Wayne. And mm. Wayne and Jeff were good friends and they were looking for they saw the Placo brothers and thought, There's a couple of idiots. <laughs> they didn't have a drummer. They had this uh they were looking for a drummer. So they got John to come in from John was living in Sydney at the time. Hmm. I remember doing a gig about two or three hours in, in the, uh, out of Melbourne. And uh, we were going to go and have a, an audition back in Melbourne hmm. um, with this band that was going to be. And I said, well, I'll play the saxophone right. and, and Stephen can sing. And we did a few songs. And and I loved the band because, for, hmm. you know, for the first time I realised that there was this um, – this is a sound that you're not this struggling. You know, not struggling all day yeah. to sort of learn half a song. Mm. You know, and and um, and I said to Stephen, "This will be really great." And and he had he had a different idea. He said, "Look, you know what? It's probably going to be great for you, but it won't be great for me." And he says, "I want to do something else." And I said, "Okay." I said, "I'm going to join it." Uh, you know. And and that's how Jojo Zeppelin Falcons came about, and, and he went on and of course uh, formed the sports. But we living in the same house, which was uh, it was a, that was pretty kind of nice, you know. It was um, it was really it was really a fun time, and uh, and he started writing lots of songs, and uh, and I got to produce his first EP and his first album. Oh, very good, very good. And all of a sudden, you know. This is 1974, 75. You know, I get all that mixed up a bit. Yeah. But, uh, I think I had the, mm. the makings of a band. And Wayne Burt was a great singer, had a fistful mm. of great songs. John Powell was a great singer, uh, also had a fistful of songs. Uh, we had, uh, and, and, and then Gary Young joined, who was also a great singer and also had a lot, has written a lot of songs, played with Daddy Cool. Did Gary come from Daddy Cool when Daddy Cool broke up? Yeah, da Daddy was ah, Gary was in Daddy that's Cool right, yeah. with Wayne Duncan. Mm. And so the band was complete. The band is complete. Uh, well, almost complete. And, and then, yeah. you know, of course, which was, it sort of saddened me a little bit because we were, we just made our first record, which was called Don't Waste It, which were, most of the songs were, uh, and Ross Wilson produced it. But we we, ha we were having such a following, but the record didn't sort of mm. represent. Songwise, it did. I, I I've got to admit, it wasn't no one's fault. This mm. the record was kind of pretty good, but it it was all tidy. The band wasn't tidy, and Ross was mm. bringing us into this place where, which as a producer is where you should be. Right. I didn't know anything about it. You know, I thought you do the song once. You're out, you know, away. Right. We weren't good enough, or I wasn't good enough. The band was good enough. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, sometimes you do 30 versions, of 30 takes of a song. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you, you just spin in your yeah, wheels, really. Yeah. So um, the, the album was, we had a couple, we had Beaten Around the mm, Bush, mm. And, and that was pretty good. And the songs that John sang were pretty good. I, I had security, and that I think that was a sort of top 20 uh, single 
beating around the bush was was pretty popular. So we had a lot of good songs, and that record sort of just kind of crawled its way into the top mm. twenty or top thirty or something like that. I, I don't remember really, but we couldn't get the sound yeah, yeah. that we were that we you know we what we were hearing live. We were a jamming band, and and you, you sometimes you can't have it. You know, it was popular in those days to be a jamming band. But, yeah. but, but you know, on record, you needed three and a half minutes of pure gold. Hmm. So we were finding it really difficult to reach that. Yes. And the closest thing we got to yeah. that was that EP, Loud and Clear, uh, which represented, it had hmm. nothing to do with pop music. It just represented what the band was like. And right. you listen to that and you say, yeah, that's kind of a band in flight. I don't even mind them. You know, the PA, the, the front yeah. of house is going, wow screaming out you know noise everywhere it didn't matter you know and that that reached higher in the charts than the first three albums you know yeah you can't you you can't pick chart success can you 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 can never foretell or forecast anything like that with that but now you've got the name jojo zepp and the falcons your mother called you zepp why did she call you zepp that was just a simple, you know, Giuseppe was kind of a simple thing. Okay, right. uh, there was nothing in it, really. Ross is saying, you know, we're doing Run, Rudolph, Run. This is 1975. Yeah. And we're doing, and I didn't have a band. I was still in the sort of Palaco Brothers then, you know. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. was trying to make a record. I think he made a record called The Deb- Debutons, I think, you know, with a whole bunch of the Melbourne bands that are obscure <coughs> on the up, maybe. Yeah, um, and uh, the Placo Brothers did a couple on it. He said, "Look, I'm starting a label. I'd like you to." And I was playing with Ross a little bit, you know. I, I'd um, if he needed a saxophone player on Teenage Wedding or something like that, yeah, he'd say, yeah. "Come and play, or come and play a couple of things." Because, you know, they were a retro band as well as an original band. They had that, um, you know, 50s rock and doo-wop and, mm. and, you know, with saxophones. And they had saxophone players all the time. Right. Uh, so I do that. And he said, I'm, I'm doing this label. I'm under contract. I can't release it. I'd like you to sing it. I know you could sing it. And I've known Ross since 1964, mm. you know, when he was in Pink Finks, you know, yeah. and the King Bees. You know, we we're yeah. kind of, you know, would always be supporting them in some kind of fashion or... Right. And uh, so we, we, we come across them a lot. And um, he said, I know you could sing this, you know, we can do the song, I think it's a hit. And it was... Um, and, and, and of course, it was released, you know, December, a bit late for a single. Hmm. But it was on the last countdown of the year, you know. Right. And it was my first TV <laughs> exposure, you know. So he, that hit he run? kind of... Yeah, uh, no, not hit, uh, uh, Run Rudolph Run. Oh, the okay. Chuck Berry song. Oh, that goes with the last <laughs> countdown of the year. That that flows nicely. Yeah, that kind of was the last countdown of that year. You know, yeah, the, yeah. the song was kind of popular, but just didn't quite. Because if you got on countdown, you'd know this, Gavin. You're almost you're, you're, you're guaranteed a top four, and you're guaranteed an audience at your next gig, <laughs> and you're guaranteed, yeah, of course, you know, which is incredible. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I got on that. Then the band was formed um, um, in the way that I said it mm, sort of happened. Mm. We 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 found Gary, and of course, after the first album, you know, Wayne was starting to lose interest in. Not he loved playing in the band, but there was a big disco movement, and yeah. there was a punk movement, yeah. and there was a new wave movement. All those three things were sort of. But if you played in, if you played it. Anywhere, the Croxton Park, yeah. you know, as soon as the disco music came on, boom, you know, the place was packed. As soon as the band came on, bang, it was like an empty beach. Next, Molly with Humdrum. Molly's Humdrum is brought to you by whitegloveMover.com.au. Do yourself a favour and take the stress out of moving. Hi, this is Ian Mullen with my dear, dear friend Gavin Wood with his Countdown Podcast. Listen, talking about uh, Jojo Zepp, where they performed at Montreux, they're the first group ever to perform at the Montreux Festival in Switzerland, so from Australia, so there you go. And then we go right across to England, where, they, where Cherry caught up with them, all right? Yeah, well, we sold out. Sold out both shows in London, which is great. You're uh, breaking house records. Well, I don't know. I guess, I mean, I, I know, it's just fantastic. It's just fantastic being here. I haven't got sort of used to it yet. We've had a lot of records released. We had about three singles released from the EMI catalogue. 
which has also helped it quite a bit. Played in Amsterdam I thought was a bit funny because um, unknowing to me that they don't actually do anything now, that they uh, apparently they don't clap or anything till the end, you know, very similar to what they say about in Japan and and uh, I walked off after we did our show and I, I, and they went crazy and I wouldn't come back on. Uh, I just wasn't used to that sort of thing, you know. Uh, only ever happened once to me back in Brisbane, the first time we played in Brisbane. All right, there you go. That was Jojo Zepp and the Falcons, and it's good to hear they're doing so well overseas. All right, and don't forget that the new album is out. If you're thinking of moving house, do yourself a favour. The White Glove Mover can do the hard work. Call 13 94 48. You know, but but no, it, it was also appreciation of the band. Now I did a lot of discos in between all the all yeah. the bands, and and I worked it out like yeah. they wanted to dance, but they wanted to dance to disco songs, but they wanted to stand yeah. and watch the bands and take it all in. Yeah, well, you know, that's a nice way of putting it. I didn't see it that way. I saw it as hostile. No, 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 it definitely wasn't. And and then then you know I started, and now I'm writing songs, and Wayne's got a bit bored with it. He said, "Look, I'm going to leave. I can't." I can't cope, mm. you know, I'm finding it difficult doing all these tours. Mm. And I said, oh, please don't go, you mm. know. Uh, and so he decided to go. And we auditioned a whole bunch of guitar players. And this, and we got Tony Fazy mm. uh, uh, to replace Wayne Burt. But we also, in this, at this time, and Tony was a, he he just got back from England, you mm. know. So he had all the, he had all the clobber. Mm. He was looking mighty fine, you know. I'm now in double denim. <laughs> but Wilbur would always, Wilbur Wilde would always turn up yeah. at our gigs, you know. And he said, I'm going to join the band. I've said, no, you're not. Mm. You know, we don't, mm. no, you're not joining the band. He said, no. Yeah. no, no. He says, no. Nah. That's Wilbur all over, isn't it? You know, big Wilbur. I want to join the band. And he'll say it like this, nah, 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 I'm in. I'm in. And I'm saying, no, you're not in. You know what I mean? He says, I like it. I like it here. I'm saying, Willie, yeah. you know, it, it means that we're six. You know, it means we've got to get two cars. Mm. You know, he says, I'll yeah. take a cut. I'm in. I'm saying, You've already, you're in a famous band now. You know, so they basically, he he joined. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't sack him. I tried to sack him, you know, I don't know, 10 times, you know, at least 10 times. He's a great character. Yeah, he's beautiful, and I love mm. him so dearly. But uh, and so w to replace Wayne, we ended up mm. with two guys, which was Tony and Wilbur. But what happened? It was just the right combo. He was he had not only a great yeah. horn player, had a wonderful sense of humour, uh, a wonderful way of dealing yep. with people, a beautiful way of, of handling yes. himself, and and he showed so much love yeah. for the band and. Um, and, and we were away, and I I found my partner yeah. in crime, you know, because we ended up liking not only the same music because we played saxophones, but we found this love for reggae music, and and so we would mm. basically we 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 you know we shared uh, rooms for a number of years, you know, on the road, and it was just mm. we became so close, and uh, we still are, mm. and, and there was just something in between what I'd be doing. And he'd be my second banana, or I'd try to much smarter than me, much funnier than I could ever hope to be. But he, uh, mm. but it made the Falcons entertaining, yes. not, but also incredibly musical, but incredibly yeah. entertaining as well. So all of a sudden, all we really needed was a hit record. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives since 1934. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Hi, this is Joe Camilleri from the Black Sorrows, and you're listening to Gavin Wood's Countdown podcast. Well, i I, I got to tell you, t two of the biggest hits and two of the two of the most popular hits, Hit and Run and Shape I'm In, Yeah, uh, great, great singles, great songs. You should yeah, be proud well, of those. Know, I, I was just in the middle of writing those songs and uh, and a whole bunch and, and screaming targets and, and God bless Michael you know Michael decides to take us to take us off EMI somehow buys our contract out and um, Michael Ganinsky says okay I'm going to get you an overseas producer there's this guy that Peter Solly who produced the sports big record Don't Throw Stones I'm going to bring him back I'm going to get him to 
you've got 21 days, you've got five days rehearsals, you've got 14 days, actually, 14 days to finish to make an to album. To do an album. You know, and, well, you know, it kind of was and it wasn't because you, and right. also we're working at the time. So, so you, 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 you started, hmm. you probably started uh, 11 Gee, and finish ask, at man. six and then you, you're off, you know, you have to go to your location, wherever that may be. And, and in those days we were doing 280 shows a year. So uh, you kind of, um, hmm. it's just six nights a week, every week, you know, and, um, right. And so we, we, we made this record mm. called Screaming Targets. We finished it. Um, cool. He loved the song. He loved, we, we had a little hit with So Young, mm. which I, mm. I produced and, um, he loved the song. This was just before that record came out. And we just, you know, we, we did all the usual things. You know, we got on Countdown. We got on all the sounds. We got mm. on all, all the shows that were running, uh, at the time. And it was, it was on its way and it was such an unusual song, but it sounded good because it was different to everything else. And Peter, Peter Solly loved the song. Yeah. And he says, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try mm. to re-record that. But, you know, we, we re-recorded it, but it was never quite, it just never made it. But yes. what he did, he found something in mm. the shape I'm in that I didn't see. I tried to give that to Steve Cummings, you know, and I said, this is a good song for you. You know, but it, and he was saying, ah, oh, they tried it, but they couldn't sort mm. of get the feeling for it. Right. And Peter came and saw us play uh, before we started, you know, one of these gigs. And he said, I don't know if I can do anything with this band. It's just some, they just sound like mm. a good rock and roll bar band. You know, I don't know if they've got any songs. And, and to his credit, uh, you know, mm. and, and our hard work and dedication, and, and, and because we were doing, hmm. you know, 250 shows, 300 a year, you, you kind of know each other's uh, strong points, you know. You know, hmm. if someone hmm. says, oh, maybe try that, I'll try this, you do that. They had two beautiful guitar players that would play, you know, they would complement each other. The horn players would complement each other. Yeah, sure. And, 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 and Gary was just, you know, straight ahead rock and roll. And to his credit, to Gary's credit, found something, because I wanted to hmm. be like, uh, yeah. This is a bit technical, but drop one, which is a reggae drop one beat, you know, which is funky, you know, Bob Marley kind of thing. Peter said, no, we want that rock and roll two and four. Play that over that, you know. And uh, and Gary said, yeah, that's kind of what we want. That's how we want to make this work. And, and to his credit, he found a way of doing that. Uh and gave us something new, you know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do that. I had the song, but I had it mm. in a different form. And uh, it's also the way you sing it too, Joe. Yeah. You, 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 the vocal performance on Hit and Run <laughs> funny, is one of the best I've heard. <laughs> it's a funny vocal, but once again, thanks, uh, thanks for that. And uh, Peter was involved in that, you know. He, mm. he's, um, he was just. He was a great keyboard player, virtuoso. You know, he could do, mm. you know, play with the. He played with everybody, overseas. Mm. You know, and um, a great producer. Done that record, sent it back to us. You know, mixed it in, mixed it in England, and um, the next thing I hear is that I'm coming down my street, getting just about getting to my street, and hit and run comes on the jukebox and I just keep going it was the first time I really heard myself or heard mm. the band in a way that sounded like a record how did it how did it feel for you oh it felt incredible you know it was just yeah. because it sounded like a record it didn't mm. sound like um, some of my other records which just sounded right. a bit uh, a bit soft on the radio you wanted to crank it up yeah. this one the yeah. bass was really loud you know, yeah. and, and it just boom, 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 boom. so yeah, you know, mm. everyone's grooving away, you know, straight away, mm. and uh, I, I just went out of my head, and I didn't realise uh, because in those days you can have a hit in Melbourne, not have one in Sydney or anywhere in Australia, yeah, you can have a hit in Tasmania. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was all localised, really, wasn't it? And yep. and um, so you know, we we're doing a week in Sydney, and I don't play the song. Right, and I don't no. know what's going on in the city. I don't play the song, 
and mm. we're playing at Selena's. I remember this, and, and you know, the the dressing room was the toilets, right? Mm. So, <laughs> yeah. so we're we're kind of they're going nuts, and they're yelling out. They they're going nuts, but not necessarily for me because I hadn't I hadn't played both mm. songs. I hadn't played the shape I'm in or yeah. hit and run because our, our staple diet was was uh, security, you know, yeah. uh, the honey dripper, you know, all yeah. those kind of jump sort of song. And we come mm. out and play those two songs and it was like a different, it was like we went up from second gear into, you know, Ferrari yeah. gear. You know, oh. it just went nuts. They knew feeling. the chorus. It yeah. well, you know, not, wasn't that hard. But, the you know, when and it's the first time I, I remember really hearing something mm coming at you that yeah that feedback from the audience is that big. was bigger than you mm. you know yeah that was yeah. bigger and, and it was just you know that that feeling when you you know on you i don't know you know the first time you you get a sensation of something it was uh and you you're floating you know you're really floating off the ground and it was a yeah it was a wonderful experience and then i, well, sort of, had... I learned how to you know the, gave you the tools to learn how to deal with uh how, how to approach a, a, mm. a show you know mm. Mm. Uh, it gave you an op you, you knew that if you hit that mark people are going to sort of enjoy that and they're going to sing along they're going to sort of start working with yeah. you accordingly to what you want you know this yeah. is what we all we all do this you know yeah. uh it doesn't matter who you are you know uh everyone's got their mark you know and 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 they play those songs and people all of a sudden you know relax and have a great time yeah so you had uh hit and run shape mm -hmm. i'm in yeah and uh taxi mary they were, they were yeah. the big singles weren't they yeah, Taxi Mary was a uh, once again a wild. That was a wild card, and and Peter Solly produced that one as well. Okay, and, and he came he came down. I was at the bottom of the ninth. You know, I didn't really know what to do. By then, mm. um, Wilbur had just got a contract with Hey Hey It's Saturday, and he couldn't work. And of course, I was an angry young man with my pants on back the front with a pineapple haircut. Well, I didn't have the pineapple haircut, but. Uh, but uh, and I said, well, if you can't do Saturday night, well, you know, we don't want you, you know. So kind of, mm. and, and uh, we lost Gary, um, so we kind of decided to break up, which was and then reform, and then uh, and that didn't go so well, and we had, um, I think Freddie Strokes, you know, was great mm. great drummer, but it was not the same, and we were sort yeah. of. You know, we're just kind of moving chairs on the Titanic for a while. Yeah, there and, and I, I had these two, I had this album's worth of material, and one of the songs of Taxi Mary, and I thought would be a hit. Mm. So I sent it over to, and uh, once again, Michael says, you know, we'll bring Peter over, see what we can do, see if we can sort of gather up something, and mm. and uh, we'll take it from there. And uh, we finished the record. And I started the Char Band, which was a, a, a kind of 11-piece version of Jojo Zepp and the Falcons, but mm. there was five horn players. So it was kind of a big deal. Oh, that's a fat sound, man. Yeah, it's a big sound. And, and, yeah. it was, and, and it was fun. And I had Jane Clifton and another mm. girl. So I had two girl singers. And, 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 and there was a bit of... There was a bit of lip and the double decker brothers about it, you know. There was a bit mm -hmm. of different kind of. It was arty and it was, and, yeah. and, and, and in the right place, it was it was it was sound it was sounded great. But in the right place, it was going to work because it was all dance. Everything was danceable. You could dance through everything, apart from Walk On By, which was also another hit off that album. But yeah. the Burt Bacharach song. Yeah. But I, I, I'm in Byron Bay, and we're doing we're doing the Bangalore Bowling Club. And this is how, you know, talk about the jungle drums, right? I get a call from Michael Roberts, who is my manager, and he says, you're number eight on the countdown charts. That means you're in the top ten on the, you know, you're in the Taxi Mary's a hit, and you're going to be on countdown. And right. you know, when, when someone certifies something, all mm. of a sudden everything changes. So yes. all of a sudden, you know, we're not playing. We're not all of it. Just out in the next week, they've changed certain gigs, some gigs you couldn't do. All of a sudden, we're playing 
800 seaters. We're not playing 300 seaters, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and this song, which I thought was weird, uh, a weird concept. I didn't think it was, you know, I love the song myself, but I didn't think it was going to be the the lead track off the album, you know. And the next thing I know, we're doing mm, we're mm. back in Melbourne, doing a video. We're on TV. We're hosting Countdown. We're doing this. We're doing that. You know, mm. and that, and, and, and yeah, you know that yeah. album. Uh, even though it was, um, um, you know, it went gold, but it, it wasn't my greatest m- moment as a songwriter. But um, it gave me the momentum mm. to sort of keep going. And uh, so that band lasted maybe mm. two years. But then I, I realised that it wasn't really what I wanted to do, Gavin. What I wanted to do was to get right, back to right. the, the early days of what I really liked. So the Black Sorrows, Enter the Black Sorrows, huh, in 84. Yeah. Just explain the name because I, it, it's always intrigued me. <laughs> you, you were either in a very dark place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but tell me about the name Black Sorrows. How did well, you come up with it? Once again, not my doing. All right, so I'm sort of... Ah, okay. I'm working. Uh, I've now decided that, um, you know, it's over for the Falcons or it's over for the, yeah. for the charting. I can't, I can't sustain it. I can't find it mm. was just a moment mm. in time, you know, uh, mm. and mm. so I'm just listening to records and I'm interested in, um, in sort of Zydeco music. It was kind of a new to me and, and, and Cajun mm. music. I was interested in that. I think, oh, maybe I can do that. The guy, the guy sees me in the street and says, hey, you kind of the singer from um, the Falcons, you know? I said, yeah. He says, you know, um, I've got some, you know, come on, you come around to my house and play some records and stuff, you know? He was just a big record fan. And he, said, and he mm-hmm. had a cafe. And um, right. he said, you know, why don't you come and play at the cafe? Uh, and I'm saying, oh, I don't know, you know. He said, just a Sunday afternoon, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. We just we'll just uh, throw throw a lunch up for people and you know just give you a little bit of money and it'll just be fun. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this stuff. I found a piano accordion player. I found a, a, a violin player. I reckon I could I can do a few things. Uh, you know, keep the 19. I'll go. I'll still work in the rock and roll world. You know, 1960s, 1950s, but with this sound. You know, so I've got a trumpet player now, a piano accordion player, violin player, mm-hmm. saxophone player. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's a nice. That's an interesting horn section. Yes. Um, and I've, I, I've I've asked Wayne Burt to come back, and he said he'll do the gig. You know, and I I, I said I found Wayne Duncan. You know, I said, Wayne, would you, would you do it? You know, he wasn't doing anything. So nearly had a whole band. The only thing was missing was I didn't have a drummer. So, and I think Peter Luscombe, who ended up being a, a, not only my son-in-law, but has also uh, uh, played drums in the early, um, uh, oh, so, no. in, the, in the early sorrows and the late sorrows. So we're there. He infiltrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a tiny bit. <laughs> But we're, yeah. we're, we're love, you know, beautiful people. Chris says, um, "What are you going to call it?" And I, you know, and I, uh, and I'm thinking, "Oh, well, you know, sort of um, the Black Sparrows. You know, that that sounds kind of pretty good. You know, s- stupid name." And he's taken it, and he's done a right. banner right. He's yeah. he's just got a sheet. He's just pulled. He's got mm. a sheet from home, <laughs> and he's put the Black oh, no. Sparrows. You know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can see it now. Yeah, uh, and, and that's that was it. Oh, that was it. funny! And I said, okay, I think it was better than the Black the oh, Sparrows. Sensational. Um, and uh, and so that that and and we became great friends. And he said, and I was working at you know, I knew everybody, right? You know, you're kind of just young and foolish, and you know everybody at AAV. You know everybody in every studio, and the studio is very expensive, so there wasn't too many of those. Mm, mm. And so uh, the guys from AAV, Ross Cockle, yeah, Ross Cockle says we're putting in a, a new Harrison desk. Um, do you want to come and try it out? You know, we'll oh, only nice. charge you. We'll, we'll charge you six hundred bucks. Mm. You know, and, and it was uh, it was um, on digital tape, yeah. so. I uh, the foolish mistake, I didn't buy the tape. 
you know, because you can record over and over and over. It wasn't like two inch. Mm. It was, um, it didn't last very long. You know, they had these big Sony, um, reel to reels and they could, you can do two and a half hours on a reel instead of 20 minutes on a two inch reel. Multi track. Uh, so, <clears throat> so I said, okay, we're going to come in on Sunday. Right. And, um, we're going to play our repertoire, you know, which was our repertoire was 14 songs, right? So, yeah. so we're going to record everything. And, and, uh, we got in there. Uh, now we had Gary Young now that's in the band. Mm. Um, and, and Jeff Burston, who muscled, Jeff Burston did exactly what Wilbur did. <laughs> he just brought his acoustic guitar and he says, I'm in. Yeah. So you're not in. Yeah. He says, I'm in. I said, you're not in. Uh, and, and, um, uh, but he was in. Yeah. And but anyway, so uh, so he brought his acoustic guitar. We had um, George Batromolis, and uh, we started recording. And, and Ross would say, "You can't come in. So, you know, you don't have time to come in to check the songs, right?" So mm, mm. this is the first album, Sonola. So mm. he says, "You know, that was pretty good." Uh, and I'm saying. Can we listen back? He said, you can listen back in your headphones, right? Mm, <laughs> there was none. Of, so it was kind of a white, white coat fever. You know, there was, it was that, that old fashioned thing that, you know, all the musicians are at one end, but all the, all the technical people are at the other yes, end. So yeah. all of us like that, right? Yeah. So, and when I hear that record, I can say, I wish I could have had another go at doing that vocal. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, and, and so, um, we recorded and Chris, he had a uh, the, the cafe neon. You'd know the cafe neon. I do. Um, I do. Uh, in South Melbourne, right? Yes, so big, huge. It, it was huge, and uh, so he brought dinner. So we were finished. We were finished the album by six o'clock. So you know, we finished the whole yeah, album. I yeah. think we did. We did eleven tracks uh, that that were finished. I think we we let two go. You know, mm-hmm. and one mm-hmm. we didn't record out of the fourteen. Yeah. So, uh, and that was Sonola. And then right. we came back, and we were allowed to hear it back while we're having dinner, while he's mixing it. Yeah. Right. Ross is mixing it while we're eating, uh, and you get two passes. So uh, you know, I, I think there there might have been two or two or three overdubs, and that was it. You know, right. where someone Jeff might have wanted to play the mandolin or something crazy. So a real but, live uh, recording. Uh, it was a pretty much that's kind of what it was, you know, mm, mm. And, and it was it's a lovely record because of it, yes. And uh, and then and, and that's how the Black Sorrow started. So we right. and here's the thing with the next record we made exactly the same way, in a different mm. studio, but it was a total disaster, you know. It's, right. it, it, it was we didn't have the right songs. They were, hardly any of them were any good. We played good, yeah. but it was just. It was well, just it's, that well, thing. well, it's hit, it's hit and miss, isn't it? Really, you you just never can foresee yeah. what will happen. I believe probably the best Black Sorrows album uh, yeah. was Harley and Rose. Yeah, well, it's a, a lovely record, and, mm. um, and, and and you know, and it had its problems, but but of course, Harley and Rose was one of the it was the second last song I, I, me and Nick wrote for that album. Mm. You know, mm. we mm. Uh, and I really think. We needed that, even though we had a hit with Never Let Me Go. We had mm. a hit with um, Angel Street. But the big record with a big track was Harley and Rose because it mm. said a lot in the song. Mm. But mm. I wrote, we wrote that and we wrote Baby It's a Crime, which is also one of my favourite songs off that right. record, mm. exactly at the same time. They were recorded at the same time. Sure. We, were, we were trying to make a double album. It was a double album, but... Yeah. Um, in a way, um, yeah. as was Hold On To Me, you know. And Hold On To Me and Harley and Rose were so, like my career, so different, you know. They're, mm, they're, mm. It, they're, it's always, you're always moving away from the things that have, pop, have become popular. You're looking for something else. Yeah. And Harley and Rose gave me that. But there, it was in danger of not being recorded uh, or Gee. released because right. um, the record company thought that, I was too far country for it to be successful. Right. And and really the success of that record was the lyric component of that out al- of that record. Of course it because, was. It, it, because it was a, it was it a was, damn fine record. 
Yeah, and, and of course, people associated with it, which, which is always the way, you know, they say, yeah. uh, for whatever reason, they say, that's a part of me, or I understand that, or yeah. I know someone who's feeling exactly that, you know. But it was um, like, it, it, but it was like a, a contemporary country, but it had an edge to it. Yes, uh, well, it had that. And, yeah, and of course... Wonderful. Oh, thank you for that. And um, I think me and Nick were, you know, right on the money on that. But, yeah, you were. Um, yeah, there, there, there was a, they were going to bury it. They were going to bury that song. And they were thinking, well, we've got Never Let Me Go. We've got Angel Street. We've got, um, I think there was uh, Hold It Up to the Mirror, which another. We had six singles off that album. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and so it was a big record, as was. Uh, hold on to me that had hold on to me was in the charts for over two years and so was uh so was that record so yeah, you know look yeah. it made me uh for for a period of time made me a household name you know but and, and i and i and, and to this day i love i still love playing that song strangely right. enough and, and I, I always try to there are some songs that you want to, you can mess with and you can mm. add things to it you know it's never finished i'm, I'm a great believer that no song is Finished. Yeah. But, so, but, so, have you got? Is, have you still got your studio? Yeah, I still have. Um, I, I don't. Uh, I sold the. I sold the. Um, the house. Uh, I sold the building. I haven't. I kept the building and sold the business. You know. Okay. Um, All right. Purely because, and I love recording there. Mm. My thing was, I'm a musician. I don't want to take money from musicians. You know, it's not my. Mm. It's not. I didn't sign up for that. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of wanted to let that go and. I'm, right. I'm happy happy now at my house. I've just got, uh, I've got a new uh, console. I've got things that I I can record, like a lot of people Good. can record, and, yeah. uh, and I'm happy with that. And when I want to make a record, I'll go I'll go to uh, Woodstock and do it there. Well, mate, you've you've produced uh, for a lot of bands as well. You know, Sports, JoJo, Zep, Paul Kelly, and the Dots. Your own band, the Black Cyrus, Renee Gaya, Ross Wilson. Yeah, and Thank and you. because of because a few and there's a lot more uh but but because of all of that and and all the albums and singles that you've uh, that you've released you were inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame back in 2007 that that must have been a thrill for you well it was it just goes to show you can fool most of the people most of the time <laughs> uh, <laughs> it wasn't I don't thrill, think but, so you know, I don't think so give me I got to say nothing would give me more satisfaction than than to be in the uh, Hall of Fame with the Black Sorrows because we've we've been pumping it out. We've recorded yeah. twenty seven albums or some twenty six albums, I think. My fiftieth yeah. album is is coming out soon called yeah. St George's Road. And okay. uh, and when do, uh, when do you think that will drop? I, I think um, that's a hey. You, you you're amongst the living. When, what are you saying? That's going to drop. <laughs> 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 We're not allowed to say that. Oh, well, yeah. okay. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> when are you uh, going to release it? Yeah, that's better. You know, it's got to release that. I think we're going to we've uh, got a single out in uh, June. I think is our first single. Oh, cool. Um, and um, as the Black Sorrows, right? As the Black Sorrows. Yeah. Well, I've seen yeah. it's kind of good. I, I have released a record, uh, Rosary of Tears, with Bakelite Radio, and that's a pretty little record. But um, but the that's my fiftieth album. That's incredible, Joe. Yeah, you have. Yeah, very prolific. Well, mate, thank you very much for tap dancing, albeit so, so you know, so uh, um, lightly over your career because oh, there thanks. is just so thanks, much Jeremy. to jump into, mate. You've you've got an amazing, an amazing body of work, and I, I, I thank you for sharing the time with us today on this podcast. It's an absolute pleasure, Kevin. And uh, I told you not to ask me a question. Uh, now I've got to. I've got to ask you the top ten questions at the end, Joe. So I do, I you know there's got to be another hour now. Well, if, if, you, if you keep them brief, if you keep your answers brief, we'll All get right. through it. Okay. Let's try. Question number ten: Who inspired you to make music? Well, I just think the radio inspired me. Question number nine: What have you learnt over your musical journey? The best thing I, I, I've learnt really is, is 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 don't think about what you've done. Just think about the day. Think about the gig that you're playing, and um, be inspired by that. Question number eight: What was the effect of Countdown on your career? Massive. Question number seven: If you could open up a show for any artist, who would it be? Well, 
I'd love to open for Ray Charles. Oh, yes. Question number six. Name three dinner guests, dead or alive. <laughs> okay. Uh, Chrissy Amphlett. Yeah. Um, that was a funny night. Um, <laughs> she's a darling. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's beautiful. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd have to have... I'd have to say some of my just dear friends, you know, like Steve Cummings, okay, and and uh, and Ross Wilson, you know, a good old reminisce. Yeah. Question number five: What is your favourite song to perform? Well, my favourite song really is is "Hold On to Me." I find there's something in that song that's spiritual, mm. that um, mm. yes, that, that that transports me, takes me somewhere, yeah. you know, pretty much every night. Question number four: What's the most trouble you've ever gotten into? Oh, I don't think I can. I, I can answer that one, Gavin. Nobody can, Joe. It's just a. It's, <laughs> it's just a test. I just want to find out how naughty you got over the journey. <laughs> Question number three: If you could change anything about the music industry, what would you do? What I would do is uh, thing that I would do if I could do something for the music industry is to play more local music. Amen to that. Question number two, what's the best show that you've ever done? There's two that I remember. One was terrible and one was great. Can I give you both? Give me both. Okay. Playing in San Francisco was probably the worst gig in my whole entire life because I didn't realise that that they could throw so much stuff at you in a half an hour. (laughs) Uh, And uh, the, the gig that I remember, one of the gigs that I remember the most was playing at the opera house on the steps of the opera house. And I don't think there was a rock and roll band that, that, that day that ever played on the steps of the opera house. And the first time that happened, I think it was, yeah. a, I think it might've been a mushroom um, um, gig as well, you know, and there was a whole bunch of people and it was mm. around 1979 or something like that. And I remember that fondly because mm. it was kind mm. of, it felt like a really big deal. Yeah. Okay. And final question, Joe. Gee, you've got through these quickly. Uh, what have you uh, learnt and what would you pass on to a young, hopeful musician? Well, the thing that I've learnt is not to believe all the hype that's coming at you on the way up. Mm. And, um, mm. and always be really kind and considerate. And remember, it is only show business. And that's on the way up. Uh, on the way down is, you know, you, you, once again, just be who you are. Know who you are and why you're doing what you're doing. And that's and, and then you'll always be satisfied. Well, Joe, you're the most authentic person I know. You're one of the greatest musicians, songwriters, instrumentalists this country has ever seen. And from a little boy from Malta, mate, you've done well. Thank you, Gavin. I'm, and I'm, you forgot to say I'm also a talker. <laughs> mate, I've enjoyed the talk, mate. Thank you very, uh, thanks, very much. Gavin. I hope to see you in the flesh, Gavin, soon. Look forward to it, buddy. See you, brother. Gavin Wood's Countdown podcast was thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.